0: What makes
1: watching TV as much fun as going to the movies? Jiffy Pop popcorn. Tiffy Jiffy Pop is as much fun to make as it is to eat. There's nothing to add. No mess to clean up. It's fun to watch, too. Here it goes. And just taste that fresh, hot, delicious popcorn. Just like at the movies.
2: Just like at the movies. Except we're at home, watching TV... And the movie never ends.
3: Enjoy! Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. You
1: know I am so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of
4: me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle
2: with you. Hey, uh, Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W N U Z W News, also in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis-St. Paul's, AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe, even in the new year, on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all around well fellow says me from brandblog.com thank you very much for joining us happy new year to all i uh, i figured our first day back after the holiday break would be a lively one <laughs> <laughs> i'm only i'm only somewhat sorry to say that i wasn't wrong about that <laughs> hi desi doyan happy new year happy holidays welcome back and all of the above I, uh, but before we get to all of that excitement today, hey, guess what Santa Claus gave me for Christmas this year?
1: Something special, I hope.
2: Yes, a cold. <laughs> which seems very unfair, frankly, on several levels. One, because that gift was delivered to me by Santa, uh, not on Christmas, but the day before we arrived back to air. Perfect timing. Seems, yeah, nowhere near Christmas or Hanukkah. So that seems unfair. Also, because uh, where I was for much of the break in Arizona, I was pretty much the only guy in the entire state actually wearing a mask whenever I was out in public indoors. It's like the pandemic apparently is over in Arizona as far as they're concerned, apparently. Nonetheless, despite wearing my mask whenever possible, whenever I was near people, apparently my masking and hand-washing regimen was not enough to avoid catching a common cold, which really irritates me. So, excuse me, pardon me for uh, clearing my throat, sniffles, everything else. Uh, We do know, by the way, that it is not COVID, at least if the free tests that uh, we ordered last year – <clears throat> excuse me from covidtests.gov are correct. It was very nice to have them around. Uh to have them before I actually needed them to learn that, you know, whatever I have is nothing other than the common cold, I think. I, I haven't had COVID before, so if this is it, uh I don't know. Seems like a cold to me. If you haven't ordered your free tests to have around in such an event, you can go to COVIDtests.gov. Like I say, it's nice to have them before you need them, and they're free. You get four per household. True. So uh, and and they replace the expired ones that you may have received, you know, over the past year or two. But it does irritate me because after about five years without having a cold, my uh, anti. Viral defensive regime was apparently <laughs> not enough And the day before coming back to air. So my apologies again for my voice. Any coughs? Any sniffles? Desi, you'll be uh, prepared to cover for me if, <laughs> if everything falls apart. I will right? do my best. Okay. Uh, so where do we start here? Uh, December 3rd. 1855 is apparently where we will start. That started like any other opening day of any new Congress back when new sessions of Congress actually began in December, as opposed to January, the way they do now. The House at the time, and as was the case on Tuesday of this week, was called to order at noon. The chamber moved to the very first order of business for any new Congress, and that would be electing the House Speaker. But back in December of 1855, there was no favorite for the job. There were 21 candidates who received votes for speaker on the first ballot, with none getting the majority needed. The Congressional Globe, which contained and tracked the congressional debates of the day of the uh, 23rd through the 42nd Congresses from 1833 to 1873 they printed quote there was no choice that day the uh, house held more than 3 unsuccessful votes for speaker before finally adjourning just after 2 p.m. local time there were fewer members of congress back then fewer seats there were just 224 seats in the house so the votes of the entire body didn't take quite as long as they do now with 435 seats in the weeks that followed opening day of Congress at the end of 1855 the House was in gridlock no candidate was able to clinch the votes that were needed that year or even into the next year it was the longest speaker election ever and it wasn't until the are you ready for this Des 133rd ballot Wow The all-time record that uh, Congressman Nathaniel Banks of Massachusetts was finally elected Speaker of the House, he defeated Congressman William Aiken of South Carolina by a vote of 103 to 100. Now I know I said there was 224 seats, but not everyone was there that day The date was uh, February 2nd, 1856, two months after the first speaker uh, speaker vote at the beginning of December. The House concluded business that day by unanimously adopting a resolution thanking the clerk for presiding, quote, during the arduous and protracted contest for speaker because apparently the clerk of the House, whoever that happens to be, is actually in charge of the House until they have elected a Speaker, which is usually the first, well, always the first order of business. That was the longest battle ever for House Speaker. It stretched from December of 1855 into February of 1856. As far as the last time, so that was the longest, but as far as the last time such a battle of any kind, any kind at all occurred for House Speaker... Well, we would still have to go back a century to 100 years since there hasn't been any dispute over who would be the new House Speaker of any new Congress in 100 years. We had to go back to 1923. Again, they were meeting initially in December. December 4, the House gathered. 1923, Frederick Gillette. He sought re-election as speaker that year. The Republican from Massachusetts had served in the role for four years. Since 1919, his party had maintained control of the chamber that year. But after the first ballot, Frederick Gillette did not have the votes that were needed uh, to win a majority to become the speaker again. Three more votes were held that day, and each time enough progressive Republicans, yes, yes, That used to be a thing. (laughs) Remember, Teddy Roosevelt was actually he was a Republican president. He would go on to form the Progressive Party and the famous Bull Moose Republicans. Progressive Republicans back in December of 1923 supported Other candidates, other than other than Gillette, blocking the Republican House Speaker Gillette from regaining the gavel. Republican leader Nicholas Longworth said on the floor before the chamber adjourned that night, quote, Mr. Clerk, because the clerk was always a mister at that point. Mr. (laughs) Clerk. Yes. It seems entirely evident that no good purpose can be served by having another ballot tonight. That was after three uh, more, let's see, a total of four votes were held that day. At issue were rules, uh, rule changes that progressive Republicans wanted at the time. For two days, the group refused to budge, and on a few ballots, the Democrats uh, nominee at the time even led in the tally, as turned out to be the case on Tuesday of this week in twenty. Twenty-three in the first round of voting for speaker in the 118th Congress, and yes, in all of the subsequent, subsequent rounds. Back in 1923, however, the Republican leader, Longworth, eventually struck a deal with the progressive Republicans, and on the ninth ballot, Gillette was, in fact, re-elected Speaker three days into the new session of Congress. So all of that for pretty much nothing other than some rules changes. All told, at least until this week, since the founding of our nation, there have only been 14 times in congressional history where it took more than two ballots for a nominee to get a majority. The first 13 of those 14 all happened prior to the Civil War. The 14th time was, well, that was 1923, 100 years ago. And here we are 100 years later. MIT professor Charles Stewart, uh, who may come up in a completely different uh, story if I have time for it later this hour, Uh, also he happens to have written a book He's the co-author of the book Fighting for the Speakership, the House and the Rise of the Party Government. He noted that the Civil War established this norm where the parties agreed to air their dirty laundry in their own private caucuses, but then they would coalesce around the party leader, uh, whoever got a majority in the caucus votes. Well, the previous Republican minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, he won the support of a majority of his caucus. He won that easily back in their private vote in November, right after the midterm elections to win, in fact, the party's nomination for Speaker of the House during a closed-door secret ballot vote among the caucus. He won 85 percent of the vote, but 31 members defected to radical right-winger Andy Biggs of Arizona in that caucus vote. McCarthy won 188 votes back in November that day to become the Republican leader and and nominated to uh, uh, become their House speaker. But the vote for House speaker itself, that takes place among the entire House, including Democrats and Republicans and independents, etc. And it has been clear for weeks that Kevin McCarthy did not have the votes to win the speakership, at least not on the first ballot, perhaps not ever. We'll see for the first time in 100 years, because that's how unified the Republican Party now is. Did we mention that it is a good time to pop up some popcorn, <laughs> whether it's Jiffy Pop or Bill Redenbacher, take your pick. As NBC described it on Monday, Kevin McCarthy is facing a rebellion from a band of so-called conservative flamethrowers vowing to deny him the speakership. If the rebels, as they describe them, led by Congressman Matt Gates of Florida and Andy Biggs of Arizona, if they make good on their word, they could send the speakers' vote to multiple ballots for the first time in a century. Well, as of airtime on Tuesday... That is obviously, well, they are well on their way with McCarthy with McCarthy uh, uh, or anyone else needing 218 votes in order to win the majority to become the House Speaker. If if everyone is present and voting now, that could come into play in the days ahead. uh, But for now, there were four hundred and thirty four members present to vote on Tuesday. In a call with House Republicans over the weekend on Sunday night uh, before the uh, vote on Tuesday, McCarthy outlined concessions that he would be willing to make in order to obtain the gavel, including a rule change that would water down the power of the speaker. The change would make it easier for rank and file members to oust a speaker in the middle of the Congress. Simply with a snap vote at any time, a you know sort of loss of confidence vote.
1: Right, like we see in European countries where they have a parliament and they can kick out their prime minister with at a simple time. snap vote. Right. Yes.
2: Well McCarthy agreed over the weekend he's been fighting that but he agreed okay we can do that this was a key demand of these uh, members on the on the far right House Freedom Caucus several members of which had been withholding their support still nine House Republicans current and incoming said in a letter on Sunday even after the concessions as I understand it that McCarthy had still not earned their support on top of that Uh, As of the weekend, there had been a smaller group of five so-called never Kevins who say they will not back Kevin McCarthy under any circumstances. So let's do the math, shall we? 222 Republican members, 218 are needed for a majority to win the House Speaker if everyone is present and voting. So you take away the five never kevins from the 222 total and that makes just 217 votes for mccarthy if every other republican actually votes for him he needs 218 to win if those five never kevins stick to their guns at best he gets 217 votes which is not enough for the 218 needed Not enough to become Speaker, given the razor-thin, barely majority that Republicans won for themselves in November. And remember, the House cannot conduct any business until it has elected a Speaker. Well, after that conference call on Sunday, according to the New York Times, McCarthy worked Uh, In the uh, late into the evening in the Capitol on Monday to try to lock down any votes he could with some allies projecting optimism that he could close the gap. Jim Jordan of Ohio told reporters uh, as he left a meeting in McCarthy's office on Monday night, quote, I think we can get there. Of course, Jim Jordan says a lot of stuff that turns out not to be true after all, doesn't he? This is true. The haggling then continued even after McCarthy had tried with that major concession by agreeing to the rule that would allow the snap vote at any time to oust the speaker but uh, he had earlier refused and it's unclear to me uh if if he's changed this but he had earlier refused um, regarding this uh this the snap vote I think he said okay I will do it but only if five lawmakers call for it rather than a single uh, member because that's what that's what these Never Kevins actually wanted. They wanted one person at any time to to be able to say I want to get rid of the speaker. Okay. Which is a job I would not want. (laughs) I mean, are you kidding me? So uh, anyway, it was not enough for the Never Kevins who opposed him. A uh, separate group of nine other far-right lawmakers, most of whom had previously expressed skepticism about McCarthy's bid for Speaker, they derided his effort to appease their flank of the party as, quote, almost impossibly late to address continued deficiencies, as they see it. The group included... Congress members and uh, insurrection enthusiasts such as Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, the chair of the Freedom Caucus and Chip Roy of Texas. The pile on continued on Monday when the powerful right wing club for growth, the anti-tax group, effectively threatened to punish Republicans who embraced a McCarthy speakership. And that club for growth is very powerful. They announced that they would uh, downgrade their public ratings for lawmakers who voted for any candidate who refused to return to the House rules that were in place as of 2015. That is what allowed for the snap vote of no confidence that drove out speaker john boehner at the time back in september of 2015 the club for growth insists we go back to those rules from 2015 so when they say take america back i guess they mean take america back to at least 2015 the group also demanded that the next speaker of the house whoever that might turn out to be bar the leading house republican super PAC from spending any money in open party primaries that demand reflects a top grievance that Republican hardliners in the House had. They are, they were, they are irate that Kevin McCarthy used that committee to back more so-called mainstream candidates. And it's radio, so you can't see that I've put the word mainstream into air quotes because there are pretty much zero such mainstream Republicans at this point left in the House. McCarthy pledged to fight for the speakership on the House floor until the very end. If he were to fail to win a majority on Tuesday, members would then take successive votes until someone, whether it was McCarthy or a different nominee, secured enough votes. And again, it could prompt chaos not seen on the House floor in a century. Every speaker since 1923 has been able to clinch the gavel after one single vote. But no, not this year.
1: You know, it's kind of surprising to me it, that we're uh here in the 20 in the year 2023 we yeah. we are actually tracking very closely with the history of the 20th century um because this was 100 years ago when yeah. uh when the last time this this disruption occurred and mm-hmm. gosh when I think back all the nasty things that followed in the early part of the 20th century like you know the depression and world war and all of that I really like for us not to track so closely with all of that in history.
2: So you thought you'd come back to the first show of the new year with that good news about where <laughs> all of this might be headed. Is that right, Desi Doyen? Mm, yeah. Yeah. During the <laughs> during the conference call on Sunday, uh, Representative-elect Mike Lawler of New York, who had announced his support for McCarthy, he pointedly asked Congressman Matt Gates of Florida, who's been sort of the ringleader here, Whether he would vote for McCarthy, even if the leader had agreed to lower that threshold for a snap vote down to one, Gates wouldn't say one way or another. So even that might not appease him. As The Times reported it, the exchange underscored the challenge that McCarthy is facing in trying to keep control of the House Republican Congress uh, conference. In fact, uh, the House GOP's legislative terrorism, as Mr. Boehner famously described it back when he left the speakership, when he described this uh, Republican obstructionism as legislative terrorism, that legislative terrorism got off to a lively start on Tuesday. Before the first vote at noon to open the new session, Gates made clear that he had not budged from his previously announced never Kevin position. He detailed just some of the demands that he said McCarthy had refused.
5: Those of us who will not be voting for Kevin McCarthy today take no joy in this discomfort that this moment has brought. But if you want to drain the swamp, you cannot put the biggest alligator in charge of the exercise. I'm a Florida man and I know of what I speak. We offered Kevin McCarthy terms last evening that he rejected. We sought a vote in the first quarter of the 118th Congress on term limits. He refused. We wanted a budget from the Republican Study Committee that balances on the floor in the first quarter. He refused. We wanted the border plan that the Texas delegation put together on the floor. He refused. And it is true that we struggle with trust with Mr. McCarthy because time and again his viewpoints, his positions, they shift like sands underneath you. Even Kevin McCarthy's own mentor recently said that the lies always change. And Mr. McCarthy is not only responsive to pressure from the right. Time and again, he has failed to achieve the goals that we seek on spending and on the fight. For months, we have been asking Mr. McCarthy for his battle plan. How do we ensure that we stand up for Folks in the military who feel like they're being purged. How do we ensure that if there is the passage of a farm bill, it includes things like work requirements? And all we got was a handful of howdy and a mouthful of much obliged. So we do not want to be here at this moment. We would prefer to have a unity of purpose, but we will not continue to allow the uniparty to run this town without a fight. There's very little difference between Nancy Pelosi and her California delegation mate that seeks the gavel. And we want to change because this town is broken. And this is a person who has acknowledged in Mr. McCarthy that the town is broken, and he has been a part of that process for many years as a member of the leadership.
2: Well, Matt Gates is right.
1: <laughs> they're all so much and exactly I, alike. I, and, uh, the Democrats who have uh, also launched an insurrection and a coup and are also under investigation for you know, s- uh, trafficking of, of minors. Yeah, yeah right. Well, they're just alike. Well,
2: here's why I say that. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying they're alike. I'm saying he's right to keep up the fight. He should keep up no. this fight. He should not let down as long as humanly possible. He should keep up this fight and and stand for what he believes in. And I think he's... uh. uh a, a, a picture of courage. What do we? What's the old uh, <laughs> profile? Profile in courage. and courage uh, for for doing so. Similarly, uh, a profile uh, in courage. Congresswoman Lauren Bobert uh, of Colorado, who was by Matt Gates, Florida man uh, Matt Gates's side as he was uh, explaining why he was voting the way he was voting. Bobert, uh, the day after uh, the day, I think the day that we left for our holiday break, she was announced as. Having barely won a recount in her own House reelection contest, she won by just 546 votes out of more than 325 that were cast in that election. Well, apparently she took that as a mandate to try and push the GOP caucus as far to the right as possible, joining Matt Gaetz to announce her continuing opposition to the already far right, Kevin McCarthy.
0: And so now here we are being sworn at instead of being sworn in. And we could have had this solved months ago. I have been working every day to unify the Republican Party For the American people. And yesterday we had a deal that was not a selfish deal in any way for Kevin McCarthy to get him the gavel on the first ballot. And he eagerly dismissed us.
2: This is also sad. Kevin McCarthy, (laughs) for his part, uh, prior to the first ballot vote on Tuesday, uh, had this to say in his own defense.
1: Are you going to stay in the race, Leader McCarthy? You're
4: not yes, off. Okay. I'm not going anywhere. Are you sick? No, I just went. Um, can, I, can I trade
1: places with you? We,
4: we did have an intense conference, and it's intense for a purpose. We have worked for a long time. I've been leader for four years. I came into this position, and we had less than 200 members. We are now sitting in the majority. We put forth to the American public a commitment to America. There's times we're going to have to argue with our own members if they're looking at for only positions for themselves, not for the country. For the last two months, we worked together as a whole conference to develop rules that empower all members. But we're not empowering certain members over others. Last night, I was presented the only way to have 218 votes if I provided certain members with certain positions, certain gavels to take over the church committee, to have certain budgets, and they even came to the position where one Matt Gates said, "I don't care if we go to plurality and we elect Hakeem Jeffries, and it hurts the new frontline members not to get reelected." Well, that's not about America, and I will always fight to put the American people first, not a few individuals that want something for themselves. So we may have a battle on the floor. But the battle is for the conference and the country, and that's fine with me. What do
0: you think? The, so the, the battle is for the conference and the country. Yeah. The problem is, is they, you have a math problem, you just can't get there. So, what do you do on the 10th vote, the 30th vote, the 50th vote? If it just doesn't move.
4: Look, I, I have the record f- for the longest speech ever on the floor. I don't have a problem getting a record for the most votes for Speaker too. Thank in you, you all.
1: Well, do you think I, don't, I, you
4: don't, I don't see how a few people, maybe it's five, maybe it's 20, sit because they want a gavel that they can't earn by the conference of themselves, that would be interesting to me. That's not what the constituents voted him for. It,
0: what do you think the it, first it, impression the of a Republican majority to to for
2: conference? Kip McCarthy there uh, before the first ballot on Tuesday, uh, describing this as a battle for the conference and the country, uh, predicting maybe it was five, maybe it was 20 who would oppose him. Turns out it was 20. Shortly after noon on Tuesday, with 434 members, members members-elect anyway, present, remember they can't even be sworn in officially until after a House Speaker is elected in order to swear them in, with 434 members-elect present, not 435 because of the death of Democratic Congressman Donald McEachin of uh, of Virginia last month, just a few weeks after Election Day, the House came to order-ish. For the first order of business, which is electing a House speaker, McCarthy was nominated on the Republican side, as expected, followed by uh, Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries of New York. He was uh, elected by the Democratic caucus to take the place of Nancy Pelosi as their leader. Pelosi stepped aside with most of the rest of the longtime Democratic House leadership at year's end. And the Democrats, for their part, nominated Hakeem Jeffries. Here was part of the nomination speech for Jeffries made by Congressman Pete Aguilar of California.
0: Today, Madam Clerk, House Democrats are united. (laughs) United by a speaker who will put people over politics. Hakeem Jeffries has worked his entire life to improve economic opportunity for all people. He is committed to strengthening the American dream by lowering costs for working families, building safer communities, by taking weapons of war off streets, and by creating good paying jobs in industries of the future. As we work to implement our historic legislative accomplishments of the last two years, House Democrats are united behind a speaker who wants to make things in America and bring home jobs that have been shipped overseas. To write a tax code. To write a tax code that rewards hard work, not wealth. To invest in clean energy that reduces our country's dependence on fossil fuels. From voting rights to reproductive rights, we are united. Madam Clerk, we are unified behind a speaker who is an unapologetic advocate for protecting and expanding our freedoms. He does not traffic in extremism. He does not grovel to or make excuses for a twice impeached so-called former president. Madam Clerk, he does not bend a knee to anyone who would seek to undermine our democracy.
2: That was uh, Pete Aguilar of California nominating Hakeem Jeffries, Democratic House leader, to become the House Speaker. Remember, anyone can be House Speaker. Desi Doyen could be nominated and if she can get 218 votes votes, yeah yeah, she'd get in so yes of course it's seemingly ridiculous that a Democrat Hakeem Jeffries would become the Speaker of the House when there's a Republican majority but at this point. No one knows what's going to happen next. Also nominated in that first round of voting was Andy Biggs of Arizona. He had received, you'll recall, 31 votes back in November during the private caucus votes. Members can vote for whoever they like, even if the name is not in nomination. And uh, that, you know, has not yet played a, a part in the ongoing GOP House caucus. The idea of someone who is not even a member of the House being nominated or receiving votes. But the members were then polled by a voice vote, one by one. It takes quite a while with 435 members. And in fact, in round one of the vote, the Democrat, Hakeem Jeffries, received the most votes. He received 212 votes, as everyone in the, as you could hear it, very unified Democratic caucus voted for Hakeem Jeffries. But of course, with 434 present and voting... 218 are still needed for a majority. But McCarthy was only able to get in that first round 203 votes to Hakeem's 212 votes. Other Republican candidates on that first ballot received a total of 19 votes, with Andy Biggs receiving the most. He got 10. Jim Jordan of Ohio received six, and then three others received one vote each. McCarthy failed to win the speakership on the first ballot for the first time in 100 years. Then there was a bit of a of a break, a lot of conversation on the floor about how to proceed, proceed, including some fairly obvious enjoyment uh, at all of this from the Democrats <laughs> And a second round of voting began with Jim Jordan. This time, he was the one to place Kevin McCarthy's name into nomination for House Speaker on the second ballot. In the first round, it had been Elise Stefanik of New York that nominated McCarthy. But after receiving six votes himself in the first round, it was clearly a signal from Jim Jordan that his supporters should now vote for McCarthy. At least that's what it was supposed to look like. It didn't work. In the second round, Jim Jordan was then nominated by Matt Gates, even after Jim Jordan had nominated Kevin McCarthy. The Democratic leader, Jeffries, again in that second ballot, received all of the Democratic votes, 212 of them. McCarthy received, once again, just 203 votes on the second ballot. And Jim Jordan, who told everyone to vote for McCarthy, Well, Jim Jordan received 19 votes himself anyway from his caucus, the same number of GOP obstructionist votes that had split their votes previously in the first ballot among several alternative options the last time. This time they all voted for Jim Jordan. No change, no speaker, no dice. Republicans in disarray.
0: It's clear that uh, Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, does not have the votes no
1: persons having received a majority of the whole number of votes cast by surname a speaker has not been elected
0: it appears we are headed toward a third round of balloting of ballots for speaker of the house
2: so seriously about that popcorn thing anyway they did proceed to round three and in round three kevin mccarthy this time nominated by steve scalise of louisiana he's currently i think the second in charge uh, uh in the republican caucus uh kevin mccarthy instead of receiving 203 votes he received 202 votes going the wrong way correct Hakeem Jeffries once again uh, nominated for a third time by Pete Aguilar of California. He got the same 212 votes, but Jim Jordan in the third round was nominated again, this time by Chip Roy of Texas. And Jim Jordan received 20 votes. He picked up a vote after Byron Donalds of Florida flipped from McCarthy to Jordan. If we can call that things moving in Jordan's direction, well, things are moving in Jordan's direction. Now, had the GOP got their act together on Tuesday and had they elected a House Speaker, as every other majority since 1923 had been able to do on the first try? Well, I had a bunch of other GOP and disarray stories that I had hoped to get to because the the caucus has only just begun, apparently, to eat itself alive in recent weeks. And I didn't want them to do that without your knowing about it. Why? Well, we will have time to talk about it in the days ahead, I suspect. Uh, As of, well, whatever, it's about 5 p.m., I think, on Tuesday, the House has now adjourned for the night. They'll meet again on Wednesday at noon. Uh, Yeah, I think noon on Wednesday to keep trying. Uh, They could have gone all night. That's what Kevin McCarthy wanted. But uh, apparently the someone thought better of it and said, well, you know what? Let's take a break. Let's figure out what the hell we're doing and come back.
1: Let's end the spectacle first. Talk about it privately. and Maybe we can sort this out instead of doing it in front of everybody.
2: Yeah. But remember, back in 1855, it went on for two months. Will it happen this time? I don't know. But, you know, there's lots of, even if it doesn't, there's plenty of GOP chaos to cover in the days ahead. And not just because it goes well with popcorn. It's also, I want to make clear that a lot of the stuff that the Republican House caucus hopes to do with their very slim majority is actually absurd and ridiculous and has nothing to do with governing on behalf of the American people. This is not a battle well, as Kevin McCarthy said, for the conference in the country, maybe for the conference, but not for the country. They want to investigate Joe Biden's son's laptop. They want to investigate Anthony Fauci, for crying out loud. They're discussing coming up with some reason, any reason to impeach Joe Biden or one of his cabinet members. They want to investigate the FBI and the January 6th committee investigators. And I know it makes a lot of uh, Democrats out there anxious or frightened or angry that this is what the GOP is doing. But it shouldn't. Short of anything that I actually see as substantive, what I see is a party in disarray and one that is making things worse for themselves, not better. Worse for themselves and for their prospects in 2024. Anger And anxiety at all of that is not the best response. I believe the best response is likely ridicule in truth. They deserve this ridicule. And I think they'll uh, have plenty of that in the days ahead. We'll have to leave at least some of that ridicule and some of the uh, GOP on GOP hilarity uh, (laughs) aside for another day because I need to take a quick break. I know I'm running way over already. Uh, I need to get to a few substantive items that have uh, taken place over the past uh, week or two since we have been on break. That is straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. And thanks.
0: You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. Mm, you can't. You can't always get what you want. So sad. But if you try sometimes,
1: well you might find you get
2: what you need. We're back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com in the new year 2023. There was a whole bunch of stuff that happened while we were out. Thousands of pages of transcripts and other material was released by the House January 6 committee, which in theory no longer exists. But does it? Because I'm not even sure if the new session of Congress officially begins until the House Speaker is sworn in. If the new 118th Congress has not begun, has the 117th? Con- Congress actually ended? The one that had the January 6th committee? Yeah, I don't know. Very confusing. Uh, anyway, thousands of pages. People are still uh, plowing through those. Uh, Trump's uh, t- income taxes from, what, five or six years was finally released. We learned that as a presidential candidate, for example, Trump lied about having a bank account in China. Uh, It turns out he actually had one and uh, his foreign investments uh, he lied about as well. In 2016, the year that he was uh, that he won election, he actually paid one point two million dollars in foreign taxes, whereas back here in the U.S. he paid seven hundred and fifty dollars. Congressman elect George Santos. I'm sure you heard of him since we have been off from New York or maybe he's from Florida. Nobody knows he's or maybe from Brazil. Uh He's been exposed as a liar. And yet if they ever win a House speaker, apparently he'll be sworn in because the Republicans need him. To get anyone sworn in as Speaker, it seems.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's really on brand for Republicans when you think about it.
2: More than 50 were killed in a blizzard over Christmas in uh, upstate New York and elsewhere. Congress passed a $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill. Uh, And uh, within it was uh, new uh, election rules, election reform for the Electoral Count Act. That's actually very important and very good news, but we're going to have to get to that, to those specifics, I think, on another day as we try to both get caught up with a lot of old stuff that we missed over the past week or so and stay up to date with all of the new madness as it unfolds but since i promised we would cover the november 2022 midterms until the bitter end well some of those races well at least one of them finally just wrapped up just before the turn of the new year at least i think it has wrapped up we will see let me start here for the moment and and this very nice handwritten note From Arizona's now former Republican governor, Doug Ducey, that was left for Arizona's now new Democratic governor, Katie Hobbs. It reads, Dear Katie, Governor Ducey wrote, welcome to the governor's office. And once again, congratulations. If you are reading this note, you are soon to be sworn in. I want you to know I wish you only the best. He said, every day as governor is an adventure. It is the greatest job in politics and an immense responsibility. I know you will serve the people of Arizona well. You and your family will be in our family prayers. And if I can ever be helpful, I'm only a phone call away. All the best, Doug. That was the note dated December 29 of 2022, about a week after Christmas when on Christmas Eve, in fact, Arizona's failed Republican gubernatorial candidate and Donald Trump, I don't know, wannabe, mini-me, I don't know what we call her, Carrie Lane <laughs> Female Lake. Donald Trump. There you yeah. go. She received a very nice holiday gift herself from a Maricopa County Superior Court judge. When he dismissed the lawsuit that she had uh, lodged, uh, in fact, confirming when he dismissed it, confirming Katie Hobbs election as Arizona's gov- uh, governor, as uh, Judge Thompson of uh, Maricopa County Superior Court judge, uh, as he wrote that night, quote, one of plaintiff's witnesses and for that matter, defendants witnesses as well. "...was asked about any personal knowledge of both intentional misconduct and intentional misconduct directed to impact the 2022 election. Every single witness before the court disclaimed any personal knowledge of any such misconduct. The court cannot accept speculation or conjecture in place of clear and convincing evidence." Thompson had uh, Judge Thompson, who had previously tossed out all but two of the 10 counts that Carrie Lake had included in her election contest after losing to former Secretary of State Katie Hobbs by just around 12000 votes out of more than two and a half million cast. Well, the judge allowed a two day trial while we were gone to move forward on those remaining two counts that he didn't toss. He uh, went through witness by witness and, uh, you know, said that there was absolutely no evidence that wasn't mere speculation from these folks, from these various witnesses. During the trial, multiple Lake witnesses had to admit that the uh, rejected votes that they discussed in Maricopa due to a ballot printing problem were actually all counted So no one was actually, none of those ballots were actually tossed out. The judge wrote, plaintiff has no freestanding right to challenge election results based upon what plaintiff believes, rightly or wrongly, went awry on Election Day. She must, as a matter of law, prove a ground that the legislature has provided as a basis for challenging an election, and she did not. She had premised her entire campaign, by the way, on Trump's 2020 election denialism. She called foul when her own election didn't go her way. Mark Fincham, the Republican candidate in Arizona for for secretary of state, he sang a similar tune. He saw his lawsuit to overturn his election loss also dismissed earlier in December. He lost by about one hundred and twenty thousand votes and Lake vowed to appeal the judge's ruling. But that appeal did not prevent the uh, Democrat Hobbs from being sworn in on New Year's Day with the blessings of the re- uh, previous Republican governor. Today, we're now three years into the new year. Governor Hobbs has been seated. Kerry Lake's campaign is still challenging.
1: Wow. And didn't she, like, demand that the judge simply install her as governor? Yes.
2: Initially, it wasn't that there would be a new election. She just said she wanted to be named the winner. Mark Fincham did the same. That's not how any of this works. Uh, But as to her campaign, still out there making the case, uh, this was tweeted today, this morning. Quote, when the Superior Court of Arizona provides the appropriate remedy to Maricopa County's disenfranchisement, the transition of power will be an easy one. She is still out there, just like Trump did after the election, pretending and raising money on the notion that she is going to just transition into power. They're just going to let her take over at some point. So, yeah, that's what she's doing. Uh, But barring you know any ridiculous surprises at the uh, Arizona Supreme Court? Uh, all of this was was you know tossed out before Christmas, whether Lake admits it or not. But there was one major statewide race in Arizona that I noted before the break did have a chance of flipping. This was back in uh, November. NBC had reported, quote, in the 13 races in six battleground states where an election denier was on the ballot for governor. Secretary of State or Attorney General, 12 had lost, 12 of the 13th. The lone holdout was in the race between Democratic candidate Kristen Mays and Republican Abe Hamaday for state attorney general in Arizona. That was an incredibly close race. It went to an automatic recount because it was so close. The Democrat Mays was certified as the winner by just 511 votes out of two and a half million cast there. Well, we now know that the Republican lost that one as well, making it, well, 13 of 13 election deniers in battleground states who lost. As AP reported, Just before New Year's, a recount of votes has confirmed Democrat Chris Mays narrowly defeated Republican Abe Hamaday in the attorney general's uh, race, one of the closest in state history. The highly anticipated results solidified another victory for Democrats who shunned election fraud conspiracies in what used to be a solidly Republican state. With Hamaday's defeat, Republicans running statewide in battleground states who spread Donald Trump's false claim that 2020 election was stolen have all, every single one of them, lost their races. Mays, the Democrat, finished just 280 votes ahead of Hamaday following the recount. That's down from a 511-vote lead in the original count. And though it seems like, well, not that many votes, from 511 to 280, that's actually quite a bit of, uh, of a change. Given, yeah, that's
1: more than 200 votes. Yeah,
2: given that they basically counted all of the ballots with the same devices. They didn't hand count. They counted them with the machi- same machines that counted them in the first place. So
1: the machines got two different results in two different counts.
2: Well, here is what we're able to figure out. According to VoteBeat, uh, ballot counting errors in Pinal County, which is a heavily Republican county, the uh, county went, for example, in the governor's race, it went to Kerry Lake by 17 points. Well, apparently most of the changes in the results were thanks to Pinal County. Uh, Pinal has been plagued with election problems over the past year. Uh, they included more than 500 votes in their recount total, more than 500 votes than they had in their original canvas. And of those, 392 were for the Republican homiday one hundred and fifteen were for the Democrat Mays. Nearly all inconsistencies were the result of mistakes made by election officials, misfiled provisional ballots, poorly trained poll workers, improper tabulations and, and, and so forth were to blame, at least according to this report from Pinal County. They put out an eight page summary Uh, said that this was due to insufficient poll worker and employee training and management. The report said, quote, we conclude that human error was the cause of our Election Day miscounts. They said that uh, there were multiple examples of poll workers failing to follow correct procedures during both voting and tabulation, leading to uncounted or miscounted votes. For instance, quote, it seems clear that a stack of ballots from Precinct 68 Was never scanned. Again, human error, and that can happen. In another, uh, the report explains 63 Election Day ballots with unclear markings by voters were overlooked. When there's an unclear marking, it's supposed to be adjudicated by a bipartisan panel who uh, looks at the ballot with human eyes to make sure there is no actual vote there to determine the, the actual voters' intent. When officials discovered the ballots during the recount, uh, the, a bipartisan board did, in fact, adjudicate them and uh, copied the votes onto new ballots to correctly count them with the machines, etc. Uh, Mays, the Democrat, said, I'm excited and ready to get to work as your next attorney general and vow to be your lawyer for the people. So this is uh, kind of a big deal for the Republican attorney general uh, in the state of Arizona to flip from Republican to Democrat, particularly since the previous one there, uh, Mark Bernovich, was a hard right, uh, you know, was, was part of the, the challenge to... Uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court. To U.S. Supreme Court for Trump's loss, etc. So, big news, good news for Arizona. For now, we think we know the results. Outside of the court, uh, her attorney... Dan Barr said the results should give the public confidence in the results despite the uh, adjustments in the vote totals in a tweet. However, Hamaday said the discrepancies in the latest results from his race were shockingly high. Quote, my legal team will be assessing our options to make sure every vote is counted, wrote Hamaday, who has yet to concede to Mays. In addition to Hobbs and Mays. Democratic Senator Mark Kelly was reelected and Democrat Adrian Fontes. He won his uh, race for secretary of state in Arizona. So all four of the top jobs, top statewide jobs there uh, that were on the ballot in Arizona in 2022 went to Democrats. They all took office in Arizona on the first day of the new year on Sunday.
1: And underscoring yet again that, man... Every single vote really does count.
2: It does. And it matters that we check and make sure every one of them was counted accurately and properly. And you can only do that, frankly, once human beings actually take a look at the ballot.
1: Yeah, but good luck getting that in pretty much any state. But I wonder if Hamaday will actually try to get a hand recount of all two million or what, whatever votes. I,
2: I, I hope he does. I'm in favor of it. I want the people to be able to oversee their elections, and the only way to do that is to have human beings actually count those ballots what so a concept I'm fine by that. Uh, good luck, Mr. Hamaday. Good luck, Ms Lake. yeah, she's still got that appeal going, and we will keep our eyes on it as usual. but got to get out, gotta wake up early so that we can follow more of the <laughs> madness <laughs> the and next chaos round,
1: yes in, in the in- u s House. Get your popcorn
2: ready. Yes, ma'am. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for uh, your time today. And apologies for my, uh, my voice as my cold hopefully will be better by our next broadcast. Until then... If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Also, my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com with an end-of-year donation. It is greatly appreciated, very much needed. Thank you to all. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com and on the Facebooks and Twitters. And yes... The Mastodons, I am the Brad blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.
1: listening to the broadcast, We are 100% listener supported. Thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate.
3: I'm Rick Smith. And this is Labor History in two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1946. That was the day local AFL and CIO unions in Stamford, Connecticut, joined forces to bring out 20,000 members from 30 trade unions in a massive one-day general strike to support striking machinists at Yale and Town Lock. The machinists had been out on strike since November, demanding a 30 percent wage increase and a union shop. The combined Stamford Labor organizations had promised action if Governor Raymond Baldwin did not withdraw state police from interfering with peaceful picketing. The state police were being used to attack the picket lines, arrest strikers, and escort scabs into the plant. In a last-minute attempt to avert the general strike, Yale and Town President W. Gibson Carey Jr. offered an 18% raise, but refused any talk of a closed shop. So the unions went on an extended lunch hour, effectively bringing the entire city to a standstill. Numerous small businesses closed their shops and joined in support. Marchers converged upon Town Hall from five directions. Their placards read, Stamford is a union town. Let's keep it and we will not yield victory. Workers represented unions like the Mine Mill, the American Federation of Musicians, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, the Barber's Union, Bookbinders, Gas and Chemical, and United Steelworkers, among many others. World War II veterans carried a banner that read, We licked the axis, and we can beat Kerry. Despite public support, pitched battles continued on the picket lines. The company would not budge until April, when they finally accepted the proposal the machinists had demanded back in January. The machinists quickly ratified the contract. They beat back a union-busting offensive and built local solidarity among unions at a time when the AFL and CIO were very much at odds.